This is Blurring the Lines with Adam Bell and Peter Nicolaitis, IT entrepreneurs. Adam and Peter take on the topics of technology, business, life, and the pursuit of happiness and blur them together in the 21st century. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to Blurring the Lines podcast, episode 74. I'm your host, Adam Bell, and joining me as always is my co-host, Peter Nicolaitis. How you doing, Peter? I'm, all things considered, doing pretty well, you know? <laughs> Not bad for a Friday the 13th on the tail end of a Mercury retrograde. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and so you're also experiencing... Uh, I don't symptoms of spring up there. Yes, you could say that um, up here in Massachusetts, we have t-shirt weather, which I informed you earlier uh, is what we call any, uh, any week where five out of seven days are uh, above freezing. <laughs> and I'm going to walk by the dishwasher. We'll get to that in a bit. Mm-hmm. That's that noise there. I'm going to step outside for a moment. And so listeners, oh, we are now that I, yeah, now that I step outside, of course, birds are quiet. Oh, now they're now they're they're chirping up again. Yeah, so, so I we don't got know if you can hear them now. We got spring Boston birds that are that are that are chirping with an accent, as you can tell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go to the car, Peter. They park the car in the bird's nest. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's been, uh, so there's going to be a little bit of ruffling around as I just transition. There will be some, as we discussed pre recording, I'm going to be recording from the car, which we haven't actually, I don't think we've done yet on this show, have we? No, we've never podcast from the cockpit of the Tesla. Okay, so that's that's kind of fun, and that will be a, a bit of an homage. I will have to send him a a tweet, homage to my friend Dave Yates, who uh, was the host of one of the first podcasts that I ever listened to when I started, and that was the Lot of Linux Links Linux User Podcast. Ah, okay. And uh, and he towards the uh, towards the end of his podcasting career, at least on his own podcast, uh, he would be podcasting on his way to and from work and he would call it car casting uh-huh and uh he was down you know down in your general direction he was down in the carolinas if i recall correctly okay and, uh so you know he had a bit of an accent and he would talk about he was podcasting with a lot of links links when it's your podcast car casting coming to you at 75 miles an hour <laughs> so, so I am now transitioning. I'm walking outside. You may hear those birds again and other various and sundry noises as I uh, go to the Tesla and uh, undock the charging porch as I uh, unplug my car. And so, did you unplug your own port, or did you have to walk to the bank and unplug? Oh <laughs> uh, no! I'm at my girlfriend's place, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm plugged into her 110 outlet here. Okay. So, uh, which charges a? In case you're curious, it charges a Tesla like mine at the rate of approximately four miles per hour. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So if you're completely empty, if your car is, you know, the battery is 
is dead and you're, you know, like 40 miles away from a supercharger, you can just plug in and 10 hours later, you might actually be able to make it there. <laughs> All right, now I'm moving into the car and at this point, I have to just tell my phone not to use the phone. Sorry, not to be back. And there you are. Because the audio, auto, the audio quality on the uh, Tesla speaker is not quite as good as the Bluetooth headset. Kind of a disappointment because uh, the Tesla costs uh, many tens of thousands of dollars more than the uh, little Bluetooth speaker in my ear. <laughs> yeah. but apparently, that's not a determining factor when it comes to performance. <laughs> no, <sighs> it will not make it go any faster. So. Nope. So, I am now pulling out of the uh, driveway, and I'm driving, so that's, uh, so that, I think we've given enough of an introduction slash explanation for why uh, there may be audio in today's episode. <laughs> All right, so you, uh, it's, it's been a couple weeks since we podcasted, because we both had uh, things going on, you had SANS and forensics or, or and i had producers club uh boot camp and so what did you learn oh and i i got to see kevin mitnick um at producers club he came and did uh did some demonstrations and just showed how easy it was to break into wireless in you know putting up a false wireless access point how to break through two-factor authentication you know, all, all kinds of stuff to make us look stupid. <laughs> now, how many of these of these techniques that he covered? How many of them were not social engineering? Uh, they were all well. They were all not social. They were technical. Really? Yeah. That's a, that's a departure from what I've seen from him in the past. Because uh, he's, um, I, mean, I, I don't know. Kevin Mitnick has gotten a lot of popularity uh, over the last several years, which is you know, essentially using to replace his uh, previous notoriety. Um, but the far, as I understand it, you know, based on his own um, you know, biography and, and his own account, most of the hacking that he was doing was really like social engineering and finding stuff that was just wide open. Yeah. So it's interesting that he would be doing technical things like that now. But uh, so, so I'm curious, how exactly does he go about bypassing two-factor authentication? Session cookies. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, replacing. You log in. You log in. Give yourself credentials. Prove who you are with your factor, and then you leave yourself lying. Essentially, essentially leaving yourself logged in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, more or less is uh faking faking that out and then um the myfi which i you know i knew about that one i just i i always wondered how you could uh, get somebody's credentials uh by by you know putting your 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 wi-fi out there and you know free wi-fi you go into starbucks and you see a starbucks free and you hop on it and i what i couldn't figure out is i couldn't figure out how hackers would fake the secure ssl certificate because once you connect to say https.regions.com you know your data traffic is encrypted and therefore safe and i say that with quotes around it safe um but but what they're doing is they're uh they're proxying that and pretending like it's a valid certificate up at the top and allowing it to pass uh 
clear text usernames, passwords for Regions Bank, or not just, I mean, any bank. I just use that as an example. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, I, that's been something for a long time. You know, uh, vulnerabilities in, in public Wi Fi and uh, unencrypted um, websites, especially. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that all became really popular, oh man, several years ago now with uh, Fire Sheep. Mm -hmm. a plugin for um, for Firefox that basically allowed anybody to to pretty much do that and see like what was going around on public Wi-Fi but yeah if you connect to someone else's Wi-Fi access point you think it's Starbucks or you think it's Xfinity Wi-Fi or whatnot then um, yeah it's uh, it, 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 it can be game over real quickly for your, for your security yeah well, yeah, I learned that. I mean, I, I always, I it's one of those things that I knew, but I didn't, I didn't understand the details of it. Now I'm like, oh, okay. Now I see why you can do that. It's like knowing you can do that, and then actually seeing the explanation. Uh, so that mm -hmm. was cool. Um, yeah. That's that's why I, you know, I only use my own wireless. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. use any public wireless. Uh, I take my iPhone, which has its own internet obviously and then i've got my ipad is connected to it's got an internet card in it so i just go everywhere with those and use my own e internet even if i'm at a place that should be safe you know like i'm at a conference and they say you can use this it's free I'm yep. like nope <laughs> what well, you mentioned that too because um at at uh at scott's uh insistence uh, insistence this, uh, this weekend, I increased my data plan from uh, 2 gigs to 5 gigs. <laughs> he was complaining because I was sending pictures and they were low quality because I had, you know, my cameras, my uh, iPhone set to send low quality uh, images. And that's so that I don't use up all my data. Because on, on average, no, I think I actually had like a 3 gig plan, but I was using 2 gigs or something like that. And uh, but every now and then I would go over it, and then I would get throttled down to 128 kilobits, which was, you know, painful. Mm -hmm. So I, I at his, uh, you know, he's like, nobody does that anymore. Just pay for a better data plan. And I looked, and it was like seven dollars a month more to go up to five gigs. So I was like, okay, <laughs> fine. And you know, just for seven bucks, I'll buy a little bit of extra freedom to let me, you know, breathe a little more easily like that. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. So now I can do that too. I can be more secure and just use my own hotspot. As long as, you know, of course, nobody takes a, a hotspot called Peter's iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you have to use a, a passcode. I mean, you've got to use a passcode. So their passcode would have to match too. Well, interesting though. See, what, what you can do with that is you set up your fake hotspot with the same name. And if you win, like if, if I connect to your access point first, I can ask for um, a passcode, or if, you, you know, if my machine offers the passcode, I can grab it. And at that point, my access point can change modes and become a client for the actual other um, access point with the same username. And now I've been given the actual passcode as well for the real wireless. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of interesting, really, really cool stuff. And this is the kind of stuff, like, I'm aware that it's possible. I've seen, you know, like, proofs of concept, and I've seen, read the papers, but I haven't done a lot of this on my own. Mm -hmm. But this is, this gets back to the SANS training that I was at. So I took one of their advanced um, 
forensics classes. And um, it was one of the harder ones for sure that I've taken. And I've taken like six of their classes now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also harder that because like the last five or the last four classes that I've taken have all been uh, online over the span of several weeks, at, you know, like two sessions per week, a few hours per session. And this one was six days straight, eight hours a day. Ooh, so yeah. essentially it was a master's class in, you know, in advanced computers forensics, drinking from the fire hose. <laughs> and uh, so my brain is full, but I'm now going through and working through all of the lessons again online. Uh, so essentially I, I took it, you know, the, the, the boot camp style, and now I'm going to go back and actually try to digest things. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was learning was advanced threat hunting and uh, forensics, uh, like memory analysis. Uh, when I first did my forensics training, uh, it was in 2012, and it was for uh, another SANS forensics course, now known as uh, course number 500. The one I took now was 508. Mm-hmm. And um, the emphasis back then, you know, for starters, was like, okay, when you first get to a machine and you start doing analysis of it, um, you don't want to pull the plug. The first thing you want to do is image the hard drive. So you take just like you would with your backup, you know, your backup and disaster recovery offering. You take a full snapshot of the hard drive, and then you make a copy of that. So you have your copy of, you, know, you have your snapshot of the hard drive, you have the original hard drive, and then you make a copy of that and you start working. So you have three copies. Which is kind of funny because that's also the same that you hear now for like backups. Like if you want to have a real backup strategy, you have a master copy, you have a local backup copy, and then you have a cloud backup copy, right? Sounds mm-hmm. a little familiar? Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. So the same thing for forensics is you, you always preserve the master evidence, you know, so if that needs to be admissible in court, you snapshot, you know, take that, that hard drive, the original hard drive. And then you have the image that you took of that hard drive, and those two should match up. And then you have the one that you start tearing apart and working on, and, you know, if anything gets smashed or deleted or corrupted or whatnot, you just make another copy of that original image that you had. Right. So it's all about chain of custody and preservation of evidence. It's mostly important if, you know, if it becomes a legal issue. Mm -hmm. But... um, but back in the day, it was like, yeah, so the first thing you do is you, you get your hands on the machine and you image the hard drive. And then um, the next time I took that class, which was four years later, and uh, because as I, when I refresh my certification every four years, I essentially take the class over again. They're like, wow, you know what? There's too much crap out there. There's too much data. The hard drives are too large. You can't just image the entire hard drives anymore. There just isn't enough time. So now we focus on the main artifacts, you know, the main areas where you're likely to find juicy stuff. You know, it's a classic maybe 20%. You focus on the, the, the 20% of data where you're, or the 20% of repositories where you're most likely to find 80% of the data that you need. Right. And, you know, so you're browsing, grabbing things like the registry and um, you know, browsing history, chat conversations, email archives, stuff like that. And then, so that was like the second time through, and now I'm taking the successor class, and the focus is on memory acquisition. So, yeah, you want to get the hard drive image. Yes, you want to get those hard drive artifacts and, you know, boil that down. That's great. 
but to really find out what's going on, you need to have a snapshot of the memory and all of the running processes and the process history on this machine. You know, at the time of like when bad was happening and when when you know you were leading up to that, and so that's something that I had very very little you know done before in the past. Memory analysis, just a you know like like two or two or three slides in a previous course, just to see uh, like oh look, there's some bad processes running here. Um, but this one dove way deeper into that sort of thing and um, was essentially like a lot of automating of a lot of manual hands-on stuff that um, things like antivirus and even next-gen antivirus and EDR solutions still aren't, um, aren't really capable of processing. So pretty cool stuff. So, so just FYI, I am now uh, at highway and if highway speed is the... Uh, audio changes at all I hear like you know as I, as I break the sound barrier or something <laughs> that big pop <laughs> 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 yeah well it, yeah, anyway, so yeah that's, what I, that's what I was doing for the last couple of weeks well cool well I've been so I was uh, well I've just been really working but then uh, so last week we had producers club which was in Nashville and uh, so the boot camp had 900 and some odd I don't know the exact number it was over 900 businesses IT businesses represented not 900 people but 900 businesses there uh, there was huge vendor uh, I spent more I spent a lot of time talking to the vendors I was actually interested in in talking to them you know because there's some vendors you're just not interested in like if you've got a solution for that you don't really want to talk to them again I mean or a competitor you know what's the point I just signed a 12-month contract so <laughs> yeah but I've signed a 12-month contract and I'm in week or month three why bother to talk to you because even if you're better I'm not switching right now <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it's funny. You know, you use. Oh, that's right. You switched over those. You're not using Dado or AutoPass, right? You're on ConnectWise and uh, StorageCraft. Sorry, I'm on ConnectWise and StorageCraft. Um, and I'm actually switching to Kaseya now. Oh wow! Yeah, you're really, you're you're going all in drinking the Kool Aid and yeah, so I'm switching to Kaseya everything. Kaseya, I'm going to drop solar winds and move in that direction. So it's going to be... Now, are, they, are you still going to stay with Harbor for your, your uh, endpoint protection, or do they have something like that too? They do. They use WebRoot, and, and I don't have a... I don't have a problem with WebRoot. I've read some things yeah. that it's comparative to Sentinel-1, but... Yeah. I'm going to stick with Carver Sentinel One because they are they're doing for me what I can't do for myself, and that is monitor and take action 24/7. They they have somebody you know they've got a knock. The Sentinel One agent goes off at two o'clock in the morning. They remediate. I'm asleep. <laughs> 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 now, when it comes to the patching and stuff, so um, patch management for your for your customers, is that something now, or, or like actual your 
staff members going through and manually approving these patches, or is that something that Kafea will be doing for you too, providing that service? Uh, so they will be providing that service right now we have we have a large number of things that automatically go through after they've been uh, approved they automatically go through the exception of servers we don't uh, we don't punch those through automatically mm-hmm. they've got to be and you know as somebody who owns an MSP with you know and outsources those significant you know I'm, I'm not judging at all i'm just strictly curious as to mm-hmm. where the line is for you i mean if you find it frankly i uh, a lot of the security um you know uh, monitoring and stuff like that i'm delegating out to giant companies that are much more capable than you know myself or my team of three or whatnot so there's absolutely nothing wrong with outsourcing so yeah know, we're, we're totally clear i'm just curious what the uh, yeah, how you're doing that. I, I'm just asking because Continuum is now uh, one of the providers I've been using. They're mm-hmm. making changes to their pricing once again. And um, like they, they did a 10% increase last year, and now they're doing another 10% increase coming up. And they're bundling WebRoot, which I'm no, not a fan of. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm like, you know, that's kind of, that could be your third strike right there, guys. Um, <laughs> So I'm interested, and essentially what I'm looking at is moving to some other RMM solution, um, but I would like to uh, convert all of my current web customers over to Opos on the desktop. So that's, that's what I'm considering right now. Well, and since this is like a completely technical podcast as it's evolved, uh, I've, well, I mean... I'm not married to Sophos, and, and obviously you know that because uh, I've just I can't seem to make myself switch over there. But I have read some good things on the Sophos uh, endpoint protection because the endpoint protection works with the firewall, and if a computer gets a virus, the firewall and the endpoint protection work together to isolate that computer to prevent it from spreading or doing any malicious activity that it wanted to do uh exactly and that that is their big tagline they call it their their synchronized security offering yeah i mean they're very slick so i'm pulling that off by using seam through you know i'm my event tracker through carver and they're they're helping with that but sophos kind of got that got that put together and did i tell yeah. you about um alta loma or no pa- alta loma palo alto <laughs> uh, i know I've, I've heard, i i am familiar with this company at which you speak yeah yeah well you know i can't afford palo alto but uh, right. <laughs> uh i've heard that they they are the best and fastest of everybody out there like uh sophos is fast um Sentinel One is fast, uh, but Palo Alto is doing it like within minutes of new, you know, like one or two minutes, not 15, but like they are pushing out definite, they're able to deploy definitions within 60 seconds to 120 seconds, which is just amazing. Now, on that note, if you, um, you know, of course, if, if, if you're going by by definitions and signatures, and that's what you're waiting or depending on to get people, that's one thing. But if you're doing like the 
behavioral um, analysis and stuff. Uh, as I understand it, Palo Alto is pretty good on that front as well. So, you know, signatures are good, but, um, but you know, it's also a matter of, like, behavioral stuff, not just, like, we're, we're, we, we've got a, um, a wanted poster up for this guy. That's one thing. But then there's, like, we don't know who that person over there is, but it looks like he's trying to set fire to those propane tanks, and we should probably stop that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and kind of I said definitions, but what they're what I really meant was behavioral patterns that they might want to to push out there that's not already watching for behaviors like you described. Hey, it's never okay for somebody to come up and set a fire. We'll always look for that. You know, yeah. <laughs> but there, there's a new way. <laughs> These guys are setting fire to a skateboard and rolling it to it. We're going to look for that now, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that we were discussing at, uh, like, on day one in the first hour of uh, training was uh, the, the most common technique that is being used to bypass antivirus right now is akin to putting a mustache on a deer. So <laughs> apparently uh, some, some guy at, at a conference was giving a demo and uh, Rob Lee, my teacher and the instructor here, was saying how uh, you know, they, uh, they gave this demo and the uh, slide came up and it shows a picture of you know a bunch of deer out in the, you know, like, like in your hunter's site, but yeah. And then in the next slide, you know, the advances, and one of them is wearing a mustache. It's like, nope, we're near here. So, <laughs> so that's, that's the equivalent. You know, you just change, you make a minor change to the signature file, and you know, there you go. You're no longer looking for deer. That's, that, that thing's got a mustache. That, that can't be a deer. So, <laughs> that was pretty hilarious. Well, cool. So what else we got? I, I'm driving, so I can't see the uh, the agenda that I put together earlier. Mm -hmm. So has your has your diet changed? I, I'm seeing some notes on slow carb. Are you uh, losing weight again? Yes. I'm, I'm no, I'm not. Um, I'm just back on slow carb for maintenance. Um, it was a, a few months. So I had been like I had been slacking for some time. And uh, it was okay, you know, my, my activity level was more than enough to compensate for any slack. And um, then I started eating my girlfriend's mother's cooking, and uh, it was a lot of rice and uh, uh, Indian bread products and stuff. And I just started to feel not as, not as live and limber and healthy as I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I decided uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was like, all right, time to get back on, you know, low carb, just, just ratchet it down. And uh, so I did, and I uh, haven't really taken any creative liberties with it. And I figured after a month, I'll start getting, you know, you can see again a little bit. But uh, get back to uh, protein, vegetables, legumes, eating the same stuff pretty much over and over. Um, only alcohol I'm doing is some wine, uh, only maybe a glass or two of red wine, and uh, no sugars, no fruits, and uh, that's about it. And within like a week of doing it, I felt better already. But perhaps the most uh, uh, 
Yeah, I like to eat. I eat. I would be in great shape as as much as I work out if I could uh, diet better. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the thing is, like, if you live with other people, that's going to be kind of tricky, you know, because there's a lot of pressure, right? You know, it's easy for me not to buy Oreo cookies, and therefore they're never around. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I go to my, you know, my girlfriend's house, and she's a three-year-old who likes Oreos, there are Oreos around. Mm-hmm. So it takes discipline that normally I don't need to uh, to have when I'm at home because there are no Oreos in there. <laughs> but even uh, like last Friday night, I was walking by the you know, in my uh, Wegmans. Incidentally, I know you guys don't have it down there, and unless you're like up here in the Northeast, you probably don't have a Wegmans supermarket. But Wegmans, shout out! I love you. You're awesome. Great stuff. Great quality food. People prices. So anyway, I was there, and they uh, they had uh, all the demos out. Apparently, Friday night is like when they do all the demos at a tasting station. And I walked right by the Wegman o, Wegman's O's demo. And Wegman's O's are just Oreos. That's the Wegman's brand version. Mm-hmm. And uh, didn't even touch them. They didn't even touch them. I was good. <laughs> if it's possible for you to get closer to your mic, it would be great. Uh, the microphone is in my ear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Uh, there we go. That That's a little better. I guess. Well, I can speak up if that's what you want. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Oh, why don't I just do that then? All right, cool. <laughs> just tell me to put on my sportscaster voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> put on the bo- the sportscaster baseball voice. All right. So, <laughs> so, so you had uh, talked about taking extreme ownership. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I heard for the first time on the Tim Ferriss show, uh, Jocko Willis. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned him on this podcast before. Yes. Uh, former Navy SEAL commander, business coach, uh, consultant, uh, jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, really awesome, awesome guy. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his podcast and his interviews. I have not yet purchased his book. It's on my to-do list, um, along with a bunch of other things. But his, the title of his book is called Extreme Ownership. And um, he was just talking today about how their approach, you know, in his consulting uh, firm, when they... They talk about, you know, basically business processes and, uh, and issues. And he says, every problem that a business faces is a management problem. It's a leadership problem. No matter what the problem is, it, the solution is leadership. You know, you've got people who aren't effective in their jobs, well, leadership, you need to hire better people. If you've got, uh, you know, supply chain issues, well, leadership, you need to strike up better uh, uh, relationships with your suppliers. If you're clients are not paying their bills, well, leadership, you know, get better clients or, you know, delegate collections out to somebody. 
so um, a lot of his uh, solutions to things is, um, is kind of interesting. It kind of goes against uh, Tim Ferriss and the four-hour work week, which is big on delegation, elimination, and automation. Um, whereas Jocko's approach is, um, you know, just like, oh, there's a problem? Well, take ownership of it mm-hmm. and, and fix it, essentially. So we have had a, um, an ongoing project which has been stalled for, you know, on and off for a long time uh, at work. And we finally, uh, a couple of months ago, brought in outside consultants who are experts in this software platform. And to be clear, I was hired. One of the things that they, they charged me with doing like my first week on the job was, here, um, start, you know, I want you to handle deployment of this software package. And I think, I don't, again, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before, but it's not like, you know, here, go buy this copy of Microsoft Office and install it. And it's not even like here, buy this copy of Microsoft Exchange and install it. It was more like, we just bought Oracle. Go install it. Oh. And and while you're at it, get everybody in the organization to use it. Oh, and by the way, we don't have any mandate for you to make that happen, but just go do it anyway. Oh, 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 and, and while you're at it, the keys to the kingdom, you know, like the servers that you need to access to do all this, um, that guy over there, he's the one who handles all of that, so go work with him on it. <laughs> oh, and by the way, he doesn't have time or, uh, or a hell of a lot of interest to work on the project. Okay, have fun. <laughs> yeah. So I tried as best I could for the longest time until, um, you know, finally we ended up, um, you know, it, the realization hit that we needed outside help to make this happen. So we uh, got, the, got the outside help. Mm-hmm. And the... Um, there's another team that's involved in this um, uh, in this project that we're working on, and they're somewhat resistant, right? They're hesitant. It's new. It's different. They don't see the need for it. So they're really there's a lot of emotional uh, arguments that are not all that logical that have been coming up constantly. So one of them is um, I don't know if you if you find this. Um, in your in your business, I would guess you probably don't. But um, if, when you're dealing with, with, with clients, or probably more uh, more often with prospects, do you ever come across uh, a business or you know a, a consult, uh, sorry an opportunity where it's very clear, painfully obvious that the client or the prospect has a serious issue? to which they're either not aware or just in denial of. Does that ever happen? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And when you try to overcome that, you know, you're overcoming objections. That's one of the things that I know Robin is big on in her, in her training and stuff. What do you do? What do you do, for example? Give me, give me an example of an, of, of an objection, a really irrational objection. And how you would try to overcome that? Uh, well, I've got a, a, a very specific example this week. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, one of one of my clients uses Google Groups, and they were having a lot of spam issues. So we got in and discovered they had all these Google Groups that anybody from the internet could send them messages. 
I was just going to say, it sounds to me like they were publicly acceptable and not restricted to members of their own organization. Yes. So, so oh. we, we advised them that they should turn that off. You know, that only the members of the group should be able to send email. The, and then we also looked at it and all of the members, uh, so the company wants to be able to email the list, say 200 and some odd people in there. So they turned off the team, you know, the internet so that not just anybody in the world could email that. So fantastic. Well, there is never a need for the members outside of the company to email the group as well. There's only a need for the company to email all of their clients. But the way that it's set up, it'll go, anybody from the team could email the entire group. And they know the address because it comes to them as as that group. And so we advised them, you know, you really, you need to turn this off. You need to uh, only allow your team members to be able to send emails, not everybody in the group, because if one of these addresses becomes compromised, then anybody can send spam through there. Well, we're not having a spam problem through them. I understand that. We're not saying that you do. We're not saying that you actually have a engaged problem, but you have the potential for a problem and you don't have the need for them to be able to send mail. But and you have exposure or you have risk. Yeah, you've got exposure. And you, you have accepted permission. And you have no reason not to tighten it up. Well, we're not having any problems. Uh, there, there's just nothing to do. Well, I'm not in a car accident right now, so I don't need to wear my seatbelt. <laughs> so I tried to explain it, you know, another way, you know, and one of my texts tried to explain it another way. Statistically speaking, you know, of all those 200 members out there, any one of them could become compromised and then they could start sending messages to all of their numbers. And let's just say that that group's, you know, 1% gets compromised. That's two people that are going to get compromised and send viruses to the entire group, statistically speaking, at 1%, which is really, really low. And regular users. No, we don't have a problem. And, and that was what they said. We don't have a problem. And I'm like, at that point, I have advised them. I've given, you know, I've advised them more than once. I've sp- I've tried to explain it multiple ways, but at the end of the day, I had to say, okay. <laughs> so what, what, what was your solution? Did you just start spamming them? Uh, <laughs> that was a joke, though. I mean, I actually did that. I said, I'm going to sign up one of those accounts for some garbage that's going you know, <laughs> to start coming to the group, <laughs> and then they'll get my point. But I, I didn't because, you know, I don't. I mean, yeah, because, because we're supposed to wear a white hat, even though a black or a gray one could be fine, you know, more fun from time to time. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to teach them a lesson, you know, maybe something like a, uh, a news feed that it just starts sending them news that they don't want to receive, you know, something like that. Not <laughs> put them on your mailing list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, are you saying my mail's spam? <laughs> so so similarly back to my story i knew you'd have something uh, that would be relevant there um we have this one group who uh has a, a rather a different use case 
from the bulk of the users, right? And that's our, like, you know, sysadmins group. Their case is special, right? Your system administrators who are, like, your core uh, admins in a large enterprise environment, they're going to have different requirements, different use cases than, say, a small department admin who manages a handful of servers, mm-hmm. right? Make sense? Right. Uh, you know, kind of like... Um, the NSA or you know the FBI, they're going to have different requirements than a small town constable. Okay, they're both in law enforcement, they're both in civil service, but there's a difference in their jobs and there's difference in their requirements and how they do their job and what they need to do their job. Right. So, so I explained this to them uh, to, to to one of these uh, you know one of my colleagues who's on the admin team. I explained to them that you know, your, your use case is different. So they look at the layout of this program and we look at like the master policy or the default policy of how this program is going to apply to the users. And they say, well, that won't work for us. And I said, you're right. That won't work for you guys. Your use case will be different. We will make specific policies that apply to you to let you do your job. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Next meeting comes around a few days later. They look at it and they see the default the master policy. They're like, nope, nope, that won't work for us. That just can't, that's too restrictive. That's going to keep us from doing our job. I think, you know that. We covered that in our last meeting. We're going to make a specific policy just for your group that will cover your use case and let you do your job. Oh, okay. A couple, I don't know, a week or two later, same thing. They look at the user interface and they're like, there's, there's thousands of servers here. There's no way that we could search through all of these and then specify which account we want to use. We, I just, we need to be able to just punch in a server name and click connect and go. That's it. That's what we need. This will never work for us. And I said, I know. <laughs> this is the default. We will make something for you that will let you do your job. It will be, this will you know, it's okay, we've covered this before. Okay, but you know, like a lot of heel dragging on. And in addition to this, there was a lot of vague um, concerns and, you know, like, well, there are problems with the design documents. Um, there are errors in this specification. There are, you know, there are inconsistencies in this document to which we would say, okay, what are they? Well, there's a lot of them. And I was like, okay, what are they? And then finally my boss jumped in and he was like, look, we need specific. If you have objections, fine. Note them and be specific as to what they are. No more bakeries. So we finally had to like do like have a, a, a I guess I guess if Kevin Landry's from Terry would uh, call it a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not exactly sure what that means, but you know, I'm sure you, you guys from the South would understand that. Um, but um, you know, we said, look. I was on the. We were on a phone call, and we were just thirty minutes into it. And then uh, one of the main objectors joined the phone call at that time, and said that you know he had objections. And so I was on with the project manager uh, from our side, the lead engineer from the consultant side, and the vice president of the company from the consultant side. And I said, "Well, look, we've got half an hour right now. Let's work through this." And just let's iron out these issues right now. We've got all the people involved right now. Let's just do this. 
And then the project manager starts going on and on and on and on. Ten minutes later, she's asking, sorry, no, nine minutes later, she's asking, so when can we go on and when, when can we set aside a time and, and go over these issues? And I'm just like, <laughs> I said at 11.30 we could tackle this right now. <laughs> what I didn't say was like, but you wouldn't shut up. <laughs> well, get to work. <laughs> so we sat down and, and it took about 35, 45 minutes and we banged out all of the rest of the objections. When are we going to start this podcast, Peter? <laughs> uh, you know, I think we started about, I don't know, 45 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. so, so the funny thing is, now, they they were complaining about all of the use cases. Like, we want to be able, like, you know, we don't want to log into some web portal and have to find credentials to manage the system. Um, we, we don't want to have to pre-populate all of our servers into some sort of remote management console, you know, program. We, we want to just be able to just punch in a server name and go. So, I don't know if it was uh, inspiration by my, my morning meditation a couple of days ago or what, but I basically <laughs> said, I woke up and I said, you know what, I'm just going to write it. It'll be a good exercise for me. Uh-huh. So I, uh, I uh, opened up my text editor, and it took me a few hours, but uh, 104 lines of PowerShell later, I have a program which does exactly what they've been saying they want. Nice. So uh, hopefully I'm going to be testing it out on Monday morning. Say like, okay, so what you're saying is you want to be able to just double-click something, punch in a server name, and go, right? And now with the addition of they'll have to enter their credentials, you know, their password. But, uh, but other than that, um, I did that. So that was one of my examples But I said, you know what, I think I can fix this problem. And, um, you know, it's going to kill all of their current objections. And I'm sure they'll come up with others as we go along. You know, I'm yeah. sure I'm not going to get off so easily that, you know, this is going to fix everything. But I'm, I'm optimistic, though. So that was my, um, that was extreme ownership. And uh, I think I met my quota for the week. <laughs> well, no, that's that's good. I mean, I'm I'm saying that all the time. I mean, that's I'm actually making a bunch of changes to my company right now. It's just, you know, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I it's always me. I mean, I'm holding the company back and I'm taking the company forward. I've got to, you know, if it's restricted, it's because of me. If it's successful, it's because of me. So, <laughs> own it. There you go. <laughs> and while you're while you're busy owning it, do it do so extremely. Do it extremely. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I'm ready for Jocko extreme, but I do it pretty. I can I can be pretty extreme, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, between all of my stuff, between my my forensics training, my teacher training, my full time job, having a life, and all this other stuff I'm doing, I just I haven't had the chance to like add another book to my uh, to my uh, to do list, but I am um, listening to this podcast uh, pretty much every week when it comes out. A lot of good content there. Nice. And the Tesla just tried to take the wrong turn, and I had to intervene. Yeah, just autopilot. <laughs> but, uh, I, I did not let it autopilot the wrong way. Otherwise, I, I would have headed towards the uh, the extra seat that instead of uh, up the central mall. So does it give some sort of indicator that it's getting ready to do something like when it's on autopilot or does it just start doing? Well, it's not, from its perspective, it's not getting ready to do anything. It's just following what it thinks is the lane of travel. 
Okay. And if you are, as I was, in the far right lane, and there's an exit, you know, an off-ramp, and the road just kind of diverges, from its perspective and its limited vision, the, the road just got wider. So it moves to the center of the lion, right? Now, then eventually what's going to happen is there's a dividing line right in the middle, right? You're going to come to a divider, like a wedge, and if you go off to the right, you're getting off the off-ramp, and if you stay to the left, you're staying on the main drag. And it just incorrectly assumed that it was supposed to get off at the off-ramp. Oh, okay. So or you, just, you know, gradually drifted, 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 and then I had to like, nope, 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 we're going left. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so for that reason, I'm generally, I generally, if there's like three lanes of travel, I'll usually stick to the center lane. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have the best luck there. Well, uh, at at boot camp, they gave away a Tesla, uh, the the big the big black four door. Um, yeah. Oh wait, a sedan or or, or uh, SUV? It was the sedan. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's what I've got. Yeah, and it it, it looked nice. Uh, Chris, who's one? And I, you, I don't think you know who he is, but. Uh, uh, he did he did a good job he's been trying at it for he competed for it last year and didn't win charles henson no did charles yeah charles won last year joanne won the year before that security expert who who can barely spell security (laughs) i'm sorry was that out loud oh that's awful (laughs) i like charles he's a good dude uh If you're going to be citing sources and you're coming across as the expert, you ought to be able to say their names properly. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, well. And I'm not picking on an accent, and that's not what I'm saying. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> but that that was pretty cool. So, uh, so what do you have uh, planned for this T-shirt weekend on Friday the thirteenth? Well, um, right now I'm um, I'm going to be spending the next uh, you know hour and a half or so of it in my car, mm-hmm. north, uh, where by the way the weather is supposed to get down close to freezing and rain. So um, the rest of my t-shirt weather is going to be like gone in like an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so not much. Okay. Um, but today I'm headed back up north. Um, I'm going to visit one client today, another client. Tomorrow, and tonight's uh, gonna visit Godson, give him his birthday present. His 15th birthday was a couple days ago, and uh, pick up my Christmas presents from them because I haven't seen them for a while. And then I'll probably have dinner with my folks, um, spend the night at my aunt's place where I'll have the place to myself because she's out of the country until tomorrow, and uh, then uh, drive back south to another client. Uh, where we're uh, replacing a bunch of simple switches that they have in place right now. And then, then I'll be driving back home and hopefully getting together uh, with uh, my buddy, my cross-legout pal and former roommate and a friend of his who works in security in some government agency. Ah. And, uh, they, tonight and tomorrow, they are doing a women's only counter-stalking seminar in Boston. Cool. And, uh, kind of fun that I couldn't be around for that. Uh, it would be kind of cool, but you know, employment's only anyway. But it uh, sounds like fun. You know, could be useful in, 
this day and age, probably a useful skill for uh, you know for someone to be able to detect if uh, you are being stalked and then you know what to do about it. Cool. Now. Do you have anything? So you you went to the Sands conference and you've been to training. Have you have you seen anything nifty in the last three weeks? Have I seen anything nifty in the past? I have seen so many nifty things <laughs> that, um, that 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 most of our even the more techy of our audience probably wouldn't have any clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I will say one one that I'm looking at now is called Zur. ERR. Um, it is an open source project and it stands for Sure Rapid Response. So, yes, it is a recursive acronym, which I hate. I think it's are stupid, but, uh, but anyway, uh, it's a, uh, a response tool, an incident response tool that lets you do analysis and incident response at scale. So that type of stuff I was talking about, about um, where you want to get your hands on a computer hard drive, either image the hard drive or image the memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, tools like Dur let you do that to hundreds or even thousands of systems at a time. So it becomes really important, for instance, you say, hey, we have seen you know, this type of bad behavior. Our antivirus is not picking it up. We don't know, you know, exactly what you know, it's not. It's not blocking it, but we know when we see this sign, it's a problem. It's an indicator of compromise. So we want to scan like a thousand of our computers right now and see if any of them are displaying this sign. Mm-hmm. Or give us the ability to do that. So just imagine, like, if you were a doctor um, and you knew that if you know patients had this specific heart rate pattern, um, they were going to have a heart attack in you know like the next hour or so. Imagine being able to just like like all right, let's just take a quick survey of all of our patients. It's like oh wow, those two over there are displaying this characteristic. We should check up on them real quick. Uh, it, it's kind of like that. Oh, cool. So, yeah, pretty neat stuff. So GRR, GRR. Yep. Um, it's on GitHub, but if you do a, a Google search for GRR, uh, it should be the top result that you find. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's pretty nifty. Yeah, I found it. Uh, GRR Rapid Response is an incident response framework focused on remote live forensics. Nice. <laughs> All right. So before we go for the weekend, I have a joke. Let's hear it. <laughs> All right. So uh, this this guy is going to go fishing, and he's got a buddy who's a game warden. So he takes the game warden fishing. So they're they're out fishing in the water, uh, except they're getting ready to go out. They're going out in the water, and the game warden gets out there, and he notices that there are no fishing poles. So the the he asks him. He says the man he's with. He says, "Why don't why don't we have any fishing poles?" He said, "Well, I don't fish with fishing poles. I fish with dynamite." And he yeah, says, <laughs> "He says you can't 
he, the game warden says, you can't fish with dynamite. That's that's illegal. You, I mean, you just can't do that. And so the man lights up a piece of dynamite, tosses it in the water, and boom, you know, the fish come up to the top. He starts pulling them in the boat. And the game warden says, you know, we've been friends for a long time, but I'm going to have to arrest you now. I mean, that's against the law. You can't do that. So the man says, you know, man takes a stick of dynamite, lights it, tosses it under the man's seat. He says, well, are we going to sit here talking or are we going to fish? <laughs> okay. You guys do things a little differently down south. <laughs> so, so I think we should close on Chuck Norris facts. Okay. I like Chuck Norris facts, too. They're important. Okay. Fact. Chuck Norris can slam a revolving door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> All right. On that note, I think it's time that um, one of us should uh, hit that big red button. All right. Hit the big red button. To contact either us or our guests, visit blurringthelinespodcast.com. If you like what you're hearing, do us a solid and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review in iTunes, Google Play Store, or wherever you found us. 